She is my best friend and roommate and one of the smartest and most charismatic people I know. And I would love to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself and how you know me. First of all, that was delicious to hear. <laughs> I can't believe you recorded that so that uh-huh. I can re-listen to that forever. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm, hi, I'm G. My pronouns are she, they, he. Whatever comes to your mind works for me. Um, I, I know Nat through serendipitous meeting um, years and years ago and uh, through the grace of the divine we have remained in contact and uh, over the past I would say two years our relationship has blossomed and flourished and also transitioned into one where we live together and that's been an adventure and a delight and uh, I'm so excited to record a second podcast episode with you. Um, you were actually the first podcast that I was ever on, your other one that you had. Yeah, I'm so sad that I don't think I have a record of that. I, I'll check, but I just remember having a really fun time with that as well. I would love to hear, like, I would love to compare after the end of this episode. <laughs> Just like where we are, what we, you know, what we're talking about. I'm not 100% sure. I like ranted about something that I probably still care about now, but like nowhere near as much. That sounds about right. Oh, speaking of, (laughs) something that we talk about a lot, uh, whether it's new music or a comfort show, is the sacredness of media. And I truly do just want to give you the floor to talk, and then I will. I'll just ask follow-up questions as they arise. Oh, Lord, not the floor, the talk. Um, well, so, okay, so rather than, like, tr- like go off on a rant in one direction, I, I want to steer the conversation because, as you know, I, I, here's what I believe. Here's my truth. I'm going to say it. I'll, I'll be brave. Fine, I'll bite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Uh, my truth is that I genuinely believe that, like, the most consistent way most people, regardless of religious affiliation, interact with the divine is through the media that they love, the art that they love, that they create, that they uh, consume, and, and specifically the art that they consume in, like, community and with other people. I think that, like, we continually make meaning out of the things that we see and analyze the world Mm. in and I think the art is the way that we do that I am and I genuinely feel like it's the way we decorate time oh that's beautiful and so when you when you think about art in that way or media I, I prefer to use the word media because art just has I don't know it just has so many different you know specifications and I feel like a good umbrella term for it is just media and all of its forms I truly believe that like we turn to it more often than we turn to um, traditional sacred texts when we're in the place of crisis. Like, I don't think that if I gathered my friends, I don't think that I could say to them, what's your favorite, you know, spiritual verse, whether it be, you know, whatever, whatever spiritual book, you know, is aligned with whatever religion they claim to practice or whatever. Um, I don't think that they could do that. But what I, what I feel like they could do is if I were to be like, what is like the ultimate breakup song to you? Everybody would have mm. an answer. 
everybody would have a song that comes to their mind. Everybody's listened to something when they're going through it. Everybody has read a book that's changed their life. Everybody has watched a TV show that carried them through. That's a comfort show that they put on repeat. Everybody does this. We consume media in ways that are ritualistic, that are um, obsessive, that denote meaning just by virtue of the amount of attention that we pay it. And I think that that's something to pay attention to. And my personal relationship to all of this is that I'm currently in school to become a minister. I'm in seminary right now. And I've, I've sort of had like a wildly atypical path into becoming a minister in that um, sort of like within the profession, they say there is, it's not a choice. It's a call. Either, you know, you answer the call or you don't. And I feel like I tried everything in my power to ignore the call. I like kept pressing ignore, kept pressing ignore, sending it to voicemail. And it kept sending me voicemails like, friend, you got to answer me. Like, it's time. Like, it's ready. Like, you're going to keep finding me. You're going to keep finding meaning. You're going to obsessively study the way that the world finds meaning. And you need help organizing these thoughts into ways that can be put into practice that that can actually lead people to liberated self-identity right and and so finally more recently than I'd care to admit I like gave up the ghost and was like okay it's time I'm gonna answer this call I'm gonna go to seminary and most of my time in seminary has been this real process of how can I take this thing that I know innately to be true which is that media is so central to our lives and how we understand the divine and interact with with the divine and um and marry it to the sort of like orthodoxy that goes along with various different religious traditions so that i can meet people in whatever language uh you know religious language they speak or or have familiarity with or background in and and help them sort of use that language and translate it over to the language that they innately speak but hadn't hadn't realized before is mm. is the language of the divine or uh the language they can use to commune with the divine yeah something that you've said that stuck with me was even bad media can tell important stories oh yeah shitty media is gro- first of all can i curse yeah <laughs> okay i couldn't remember if that's like <laughs> a thing Say whatever and that's that's so important for me to know. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for that guideline. Um, yeah, sh- shitty media is, like, so important, right? Like, for example, um, people love reality television. And, like, by and large, reality television is, like, sh- shitty media. Like, and this is not to degrade it in any way. It's just, like, I think that it knows what it is. And it, it sort of like exists in this way that it doesn't have to be realistic. It doesn't have to be, even though it's reality television, it doesn't have to be realistic. It doesn't have to be re- relatable in any way. It just has to be uh, consumable and easy. Mm. And, and I think that like, there's, there's a lot of media like that. Like we listen to shitty music. We, we watch shitty TV shows, you know, we do all that. And I think that there's like, there's a certain level of, Sometimes shitty things are good because you don't want rigor. You just want Mm. accessibility. Yeah, I feel like meeting you was the first time I heard the concept like mental furniture. And so in 2016, we like had some crossover of like how I met your mother and stuff. And I 
I feel like that's when I started treating media a little differently because I hadn't thought of it as something that I could lean on for comfort. I was like, oh, you just watch a show and then you're just done with it. I hadn't thought about the fact that you could like rewatch it both for comfort and for meaning. First of all, you outing me as a How I Met Your Mother fan is so rude. That is like such private information. How dare you do that? <laughs> anyway, it's out there now. Honestly, take it out and edit. <laughs> I'm messing. You're fine. Mm. Um, no, I, and also like I could I could go off on a tangent about how like consuming media critically means that you can like media that is maybe not morally aligned with you and that's okay um but I won't do that I I will just make that statement and move on from it but yeah I think that this this concept of of mental furniture is like I will I'll be honest with you I did not come up with it my dad came up with that and Mm. or at least told me it I don't know if it was his original idea and ever since it has been a really central thing for me too because yeah I I I am such a mental furniture kind of person like I am for a while it was how I met your mother I used to do this thing with how I met your mother and friends um where I would I would watch one series all the way through and then I'd switch to the other and I watch it all the way through and by the time I got to like the last season of each I will have like had enough distance from the first season of the last the other one so that it felt like you know like I could take it in turns and it would be just as comforting and it would feel brand new and I would notice new things like I will, I will never forget on like my, I don't know, ninth or 10th rewatch of Friends, there was a joke that Chandler makes in like the first or second season about, about toothpaste of all things that knocked me on my ass so significantly. It immediately became one of my favorite episodes of the show simply because of this joke that I had never noticed was so fucking funny. And, <laughs> and so like, you know, like, it, and there's something special about that. I have like a lot of theories about uh, love and attention being to be loved is to be seen, to be noticed, to be observed. Right. But, like mm-hmm. I have, I have theories around that. Ironically, uh, something that I learned from one of my favorite pieces of media, which is Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird, which is, which came out in, I think 2017, 2017 or 2018, I think 2017. Um, which stars Shirsha Ronan and Laurie Medclaff. Med- Medclaff, I want to say, is the last name. Anyway, a beautiful story about this about this girl from Sacramento, this teenage girl in Sacramento, goes to a Catholic all-girls school and just wants so badly to leave and be more important and be bigger and be different than what she views her life as. And when she is applying to schools, she wants to go to the East Coast, she wants to go to, like, big, important, you know, um, so like Ivy League schools on the East Coast and just like leave the small town that she feels like she's lived in her entire life behind. And when she applies, she writes essays about Sacramento and her, I think her guidance counselor says to her, you write about Sacramento with such love. And Lady Bird says something to the effect of, I, you know, I don't, I didn't do that intentionally. And the guidance counselor points out, that she just pays such close attention to it. Mm. And it's this, this argument that attention is love. And I think that it's echoed in that story too, because Lady Bird and her mom have this really tumultuous relationship throughout it. And, it, 
and it's not for lack of I think effort on either one of their parts and there's this intense attention paid to the relationship and yet both of them feel this lack of love from one another and and so I think that there's like it's just making a really powerful statement about attention and love and and love not always landing how you want it to even when it's there and present that taught me a really important lesson um mm. yeah so I mean I suppose all of this to say there is so much that we learn from media that that at least I internalize and I know that I'm not the average person and in, in that I'm quite obsessive I have an obsessive disorder so I know that like um I cannot judge what I think the general population would get out of media based on what I get off of out of media but I will say that I and I know you know this Nat obsessively question my friends about their relationship to media whenever yeah. we consume it together and so this is like I, I sort of like intentionally endeavored to collect data about folks and their relationship to media all throughout my life and this has led me to the conclusion that like I am not alone in this that we often make meaning through media and um, and draw from the examples of media to understand, conceptualize, interact with uh, the divine. And and you know what's so interesting when I say consume, um, conceptualize, interact with whatever the the divine. I I genuinely mean with ourselves. Like I think that that's one and the same. I don't think I think to endeavor to know the divine is to endeavor to know yourself. Yeah. I feel like one of the first pieces of media that I actually intentionally consumed in that way was from uh, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text and like reading it, not for just entertainment, but like to actually study it. And I thought that was such an interesting reframe. I 100% do too. And I, it was also one of the first places that I was like, oh, this is being done. This is like theological work that already has a framework. I can hop onto this. And um, what I, what I really love specifically about that podcast, which I will, I will shout them out more specifically, not sorry productions puts on a podcast called Harry Potter and the sacred text. It's been going on for years, probably close to a decade at this point. Um, And the uh, like hosts of that podcast are Vanessa Zoltan and um, it used to be Casper Turkile, and now they have a new a new host um, named Matt Potts. Anyway, the the group of the people that started this podcast, the idea of getting together in community and treating Harry Potter as liturgy and going through it chapter by chapter and trying to study it through different themes with different um, theological approaches and and spiritual practices was revolutionary to me and also Mm. I think that like it gave me like I said it gave me framework it gave me framework to do this with other other things and I have I have utilized that framework more consistently in my life than almost any other theoretical framework um with which to like view the world I mean maybe like conflict theory right like Marxist theory to view social and political conflicts, but like theologically speaking, it prevails for me. Mm. Yeah. 
I just, it's so funny as I was like taking notes for prepping for this, just how many different touch points of sacred media has been sprinkled throughout our friendship. Like it's so prominent. Um, I think one thing that has been interesting to me is treating music playlists as, as altars because I have altars that are physical. I have stones, I have incense, I have candles, I have cards, but I feel like that's a reframe that I've taken to heart as well. Yeah. Well, and I'm going to be so candid and say that the reason that I, I think that I gravitate towards playlists as altars is because I don't want shit in my space. Like I'm, <laughs> and I, I think I'm fucking bad at making physical altars. Like I'll admit it. I'll say it. I don't like, I don't, I think that I just view it as clutter and it's, yeah. and I know that that's not, that's not the case for everybody, but I think that I just have such an aversion to clutter that I'm like, bro, get this shit out of my fucking space. It's like, and I have like this, uh, this is like deeply revealing of, of who I am as a person. I have this rule for myself that like, I can't have furniture in my space that is not multi-purpose. Like it has to have at least two purposes or it's not necessary to me yeah period like it's just like it's and i i don't have like a particularly small space it's not that it's not like a a space saving thing it's just like a it's just like get out of my way bro like i'm a big person i don't know and so i think (laughs) that like altars it's like this has one purpose it's not bringing me joy it's just there and it's maybe it's nice to look at, but like it's in the way. I don't want it. I have one altar in my space, and it's relatively <laughs> new, and it's like on thin ice. Like every day, I'm like the second this stops being useful to me, you're, you're it's out like to the garbagio. <laughs> and and so like I think playlists as as altars really solve this problem for me and I think that I I naturally have done it my entire life and just hadn't realized that there was actually mm. my dear friend uh, Kiana Denae who came up with this concept and brought it to one of my classes this past semester and ever since then I've been like holy shit this is what I do and this is what I've done my entire life like every playlist I've ever made for a season or for a relationship or I'll say it so often media right for other Mm -hmm. media like books tv shows movies whatever i've ever made has all been an altar it's all been a way to like honor this liturgy that i use to understand myself and the world and the divine better Mm. and isn't that what an altar is (laughs) yeah and i'm i am like campy about my playlist like i make like funny little clever names and like make (laughs) cover art for it like I source photos and make mood board it's sick it's truly like tumblr 2014 like my roots (laughs) my roots show when I'm making these playlists and alters so you know and and uh, and they're so useful like they're so useful I know that this is I'm, I'm doing a class this semester that's all about writing as a sacred practice and part of this sacred practice is I have rituals around the like things I do to prepare for writing and while I'm writing and one of them is that I play a playlist of just like acoustic guitar music to like Mm. get into the zone of writing and it's Pavlovian bro it's so useful 
because it it brings me it is state transmission work that's what it is and it and what a powerful altar to be able to just like utilize that altar to like meditate on on an intention which is to write something and be able to slip into the space of doing that that's like that's really powerful and I think that that's the kind of thing that only genuinely comes with practice and like um a, a big part of all of this to me is also just like uh allowing reverence to lie where it lies and mm. and to not judge yourself for what you find important like i it's like mm. i will admit it's inherently embarrassing to love harry potter so much that like i want to find meaning making through through it you know what i mean like that's embarrassing nobody needs to know that about me like that's <laughs> horrific to admit it's like in in certain in certain ways it's like I would actually rather die than say that out loud and also it's the truth and it works and it's been such a powerful tool for me and if it works for me chances are it works for other people and life is about leaning into the messy embarrassing awkward uncomfortable things because most of the time that is where like reality and truth exists and I know all of that so that is what I you know try and do and I and I think that that is like a big part of all of this it's like you in in my ministry at least it feels very much like the goal is don't judge yourself just be yourself don't Mm. try and feel good just try and feel more yeah like just I mean something that you've said that really 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 has stuck with me and it's helped me expand a little bit more is discomfort isn't harm period (laughs) yeah and then okay so I know we're around each other a lot so I know what you're saying but I think a lot of people who listen to this won't know what state transmission is so could you go into that a little bit uh (laughs) well I don't I I don't think that I have like the prevailing theory of what state transmission is but um so first of all google it like google is free y'all all right there you go (laughs) but but second of all I guess to say how I mean it in this context is like um moving from mindset uh and intention towards one thing and to another so um I I think people do this all the time and I think they call it different things but like you know when you're hanging out with friends you are in a different mental and emotional place than when you are at the workplace hopefully fingers crossed right and so like and so I think that we engage in state transmission all the time and I think especially for people like me who are neurodivergent who you know whose brains don't always work in the ways and directions that we would like for them to there's there's like a little bit of hacking that goes on with your brain to so that your brain and body knows that that you are very intentionally moving from one mental emotional state to the next and and that is what I mean by state transmission yeah because I think one thing I've noticed and actually started to have language for myself at least is that I struggle with transition and so that kind of was what I figured you meant but you know one of the ways that we are so different and that I've grown the most is uh is your love for pop culture and having your your you know, finger on the pulse of, of culture. And um, I was wondering if you could dive into that a little bit. I feel like I have 
often been stuck in this, like, I'm too cool for this, or I just, I don't want to like this because everyone else likes it. And I feel like you've really challenged that a lot. And I think some of that has to do with my, my lack of pleasure seeking, because now we've gone to like Barbie, we've gone to, or we've listened to Taylor Swift and stuff. And I've actually gotten to be in a cultural moment more than I think I ever have. And so maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I think that there, this is complex to me because I think that there is really no way for me to talk about the, like my relationship to pop culture and why it's so important to me and why I, I love diving into it so much without talking about the ways that like um, popular culture is shaped by and pushed forward by those who exist on the margins. So I'm, mm. you know, like black people, uh, trans folks, women by and large, young women, young like teenage girls shape pop culture. And so I think there's like been a, a movement a rather popularized movement always that exists to to like degrade and to um make fun of popular culture and i think that that's why i think it's rooted in misogyny and i think it's specifically rooted in misogynoir because despite the fact that black women have consistently been the like foremothers and creators of the things that most are, are most held dear in society they are shamed and and to be attached to uh black women and their ideas and and say specifically that black women are the creators of it is seen as embarrassing because our society treats black women specifically as the lowest class of citizen and mm. and, and i think that that's that is what i constantly hear when i hear people degrade pop culture of course if there's like there's an evolution of that but like there i think that it is curated maintained um and and like by and large targeted to women it's targeted to people of color it's targeted to queer people and people want to degrade it because of those things and yet I constantly feel that like pop culture is one of the best ways to like find pleasure and community and understanding. Great example of this is um, Beyonce just released new music. Now there are a million and 10 things that I could say about Beyonce as an artist. I, I think there are really fair criticisms of like any popular artists and the way that they use their celebrity and also all of that stripped away, noting that that's important. All of that stripped away. Beyonce is a phenomenal artist that makes incredible art and consuming it in community is not just a fun thing that matters because it's fun and it does matter because it's fun, but also an incredibly empowering thing for black people, for black queer people specifically, for black women specifically, because it is a, it is a level of excellence that is being recognized more universally than is often afforded people with those demographic within those demographics right that like we can band together and celebrate and that's a real earnest thing that has real political social cultural implications and treating that like it's something less than it is 
is at its at its core just misogyny and misogynoir specifically and so i and i think that this can be said of most things in pop culture now there there's like critical um theory about consumerism capitalism the way that it ties into pop culture i think a lot of pop culture is about wanting you to to consume things and specifically to buy things um and spend money and invest capital and you know further this like wealth divide between the people who work for a living and people who exploit for a living like you know like all of those things are real and true and we can have that conversation and as serious as that is sometimes it's not that fucking deep bro like sometimes beyonce made a uh banging ass country song and you want to go line dance with the girls and the gays to it and that's good that is real meaning making reason to stay alive in a really hard time to be alive kind of shit and it matters because of that Mm -hmm. period the end (laughs) oh you know sorry i'm sitting with that for a second (laughs) (laughs) you're loud also i feel like i know that i'm the guest i know that i'm the guest and that my job is to just like talk and whatnot but like i'm talking so much like you talk now (laughs) (laughs) oh if you want me to talk how about you ask me something period okay so we're talking so much about media that's sacred to us and the the touch points that we've had um within just within our relationship Mm -hmm. with sacred media i have curiosities about what media has been most dear and sacred to you throughout your life like overarching like if you could pick one movie one book one song or album or whatever what do you think that that would be can you ask me it again you can even say exactly how you just said it but can you ask me it again sure i'm not gonna say it exactly how i just said it though okay i I don't (laughs) exactly remember um okay but if you could if you could pick one piece of media yeah that you have consistently found meaning in throughout your entire life what do you think that that piece of media would be and why talk to me about that media so funny I don't I should reread this because I don't remember it much but I remember when I was younger I had a book series that I would go back to and I would reread obsessively and it was called like the first book in the series is called The Naming um and I just remember it it wow brain okay (laughs) It's like, no, not that one. Let's talk about a different one. I was like, okay, I don't remember a lot of it, but I remember it like being important, being an anchor to me, being a world that I could like flip into. The other one being like Inkheart. That was one that I used to reread obsessively as well. And it was, you know, the silver tongues and and being able to read a book out loud and like either come into the world or like read it, read something out of the book into this world. And um, I just really remember identifying with the main character and and watching her relationship with her dad and um and just seeing this really complex like group of characters have different relationships with each other and it was it was it was 
I don't know. It was really grounding. And it was something that I really, really wished with, like, my whole heart to, like, be able to actually experience. So it's called The Name. Is it by Allison? What? Alice, I cannot remember the last name. I want to say Cragen? Cragen? Yeah. Anyway, yes, I know the book that you're talking about. Um, How did you know that? I, you're, okay, so I know I've said this before, but your memory is insane, G. <laughs> yes, that is correct. <laughs> that, that book. <laughs> um, that's really funny. Um, Holy shit. I'm, <laughs> well, I mean, I read the book and liked it, so I used to, you know? Anyway. No, I'm I like love that. I love the summary, too. Sorry. No, you're fine. You're fine. I am... Um, I love hearing that and I love hearing specifically about books. I think that there's there's a relationship that people have with books that feels distinct from other kinds of media. And I don't mm. I could probably sit and think more more about why that is, but uh, I think it's probably also because I write, I'm a writer and I I think often about the intimate relationship I have with the characters that I create or that I write about and that I'm in relationship to. And I'm, I have so many big feelings about letting those characters out into the world for other people mm. to build relationships with and how scary that is and how necessary and wonderful and beautiful and how fucking scary that is. Yeah. It's so funny. You say building relationship with characters and you know me and like, memory and names right now is hard but one thing that I always related to and it's so funny now knowing that I'm autistic is Matilda I always related to her I, I ah. loved re-watching that I loved reading all of Roald Dahl's books over and over and over and over because he was so strange and uh Kurt Vonnegut too and I I just loved that <laughs> I think for those I I love that everyone hated Kurt Vonnegut but I also like truly felt kinship to that author what uh, Vonnegut book do you like the most? Or just comes to mind, I guess. Uh, the one from my tattoo. <laughs> um, I have a tattoo that says, so it goes. And I believe it's from Slaughterhouse-Five. And yeah. I'm going to double check that. I think it is, right? I remember reading, rereading Slaughterhouse-Five over and over and over. And it was this concept of like, time can be perceived in different ways. I've always really been into... Um, your god words um like like michael crichton and like quantum um things and and quantum science quantum physics um and so like studying time as something that can be experienced in different ways and it can be linear or it can be circular or it can be all at once and these aliens have this phrase of like so it goes so it goes and it was marked not only by uh, when people die, but also as, like, a refrain of hope um, that, you know, life life keeps going on as well. It doesn't just end. The story's not over. And so that's why I added a semicolon. It's actually not, I don't think, ever written with a semicolon in the book, but that was why it was so important to me. 
I remember, so like the tea is you got that tattoo while we were together. So I remember you giving me all of this background for it when you got it. And I can't help but think about all of the ways that your life has needed that message since you got that tattoo with me. Mm. And, um, and how much I feel like it fully relates to the star matching tattoo. So for the audience, Nat and I have matching thigh tattoos of uh, it's a geometric triangle and there's a wave inside the triangle and on top of it it says I am here and I really feel like there's something there's something connected between the imagery of a wave and the continuous movement of an ocean and the idea that so it so it goes right it just keeps going there is a there's there's a movement and a cyclical nature to life that is comforting in its fluidity that we know that though the good times will pass so too will the bad times oh man I'm gonna cry okay so like (laughs) I was just thinking about how um you were asking me about media and stuff that I've gone back to and now we're talking about my tattoos and I have one on my ankle and I just um Hold on, let me change that one. Okay. It's it's um, a Hebrew word. It says teshuva. And the literal translation in Hebrew. Um, and it is actually from an entire podcast episode by Rob Bell. And it's the story of the prodigal son, but it's not focusing really. It, well, some of it is focusing on the prodigal son, but also on the language used at the very end that um, the... So it comes back, like, gets this big, you know, uh, celebration, and the son that stayed was, like, really angry about it, and the father turns to him and is like, I have always been with you, and everything I have is yours, and it's about this, this, um, the story of original blessing instead of original sin, and that's what, that's why I got it tattooed on my ankle, but all of that is related, the so it goes, the I am here, the teshuva, the return, and, and it's related to a piece of media that matters to me. I've re-listened to that podcast episode so many times. Fucking hell, bro. The, <laughs> I, I really love that there's sp- spiritual connective tissue between all of your tattoos and not just physical connective tissue. That's really... That's gorgeous. Um, I... I'm going to sit with that and just digest it for a second on the topic of media there is this really poignant song that I come back to a lot by John Mayer of all people dear god (laughs) blessings Um, that is about is, is about cycles and it's called wheel um i want to say that it's on his album heavier things i could be wrong about that um but it is it's all about it's all about cycles it's all about the the way the wheel keeps turning is the like constant refrain of the song and there's a line in it that says airports see it all the time someone's last goodbye 
blends in with someone's side because someone's coming home and hand a single rose and that's the way the, the wheel keeps turning and you know I, I love at the end that he mentions the rose because you know roses die and then presumably provide fertilization for the land that they come from all things in nature are in cycles yada yada all the all the beautiful things and all the beautiful ways that the divine tries to tell us this truth from the second we breathe air into our lungs and uh, breathe out <laughs> air from mm. it and and all of that but like i think that there's it's it is probably the most central lesson and the hardest lesson to learn and and it shows up in so many different places in our lives like it is obviously such a really big macro lesson in in life and understanding seasons of blessings and and seasons of hurt and endurance and you know all of that but then it's also just small things like care tasks are cyclical and that was such a revolutionary lesson for me to learn that like Mm. um housework is never done and it's not supposed to because it's in a cycle there is no done state and it's not rational for all of the the care tasks that you're you're involved in to be at the finished place because that isn't even there in the cycle the world that we live in is made for us to live in it not to not disturb it and um and it's interesting to me that lessons like a song like that can show up in such small things and such big things in my life and equal measure and have such big fucking impact. And this is what I mean by, I feel like the meaning making is, is innate. It's inherent in, in all that we consume in media. And I'll be frank. There have been times where I have, I've listened to a song or, watched a movie and hated it and just been like this was stupid this doesn't mean anything and then I'll go back like years later and be like "Ooh, this was telling me something I really didn't want to hear then and that is why I hated it so much and um I think now I've learned to really pay attention to the times that I have big knee-jerk reactions like that and and try and and really interrogate what it's telling me I remember specifically there's this one song by Walk the Moon called Surrender. And it it's just about breaking up. Sur- surrendering to the like reality that it's over, that that the best you can be to a person is the best ex-lover that they ever had. And mm. um and that maybe that that is enough. That like choosing to exit while it is right to exit and and before it sours is the best thing. And that knowing when it's over is not a condemnation of, of the fact that it exists, but a reality that things end. And I listened to it and hated it for the first time. And I look back now and realize I hated it because I was in a relationship that I needed to leave. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and was so terrified by the, the reality that even the notion that that sometimes it's right to to leave things like that was just so abhorrent to me that I was like fuck this I'm not listening to it even though it was a great song and I recognized objectively that like I could get into like the melody fucked but the message really (laughs) fucked me up (laughs) and um and I didn't like that and so I I don't know like I, I I think that that is 
that says everything that it needs to say that there's so much meaning making even when we don't want it even when we're trying to run from it and I would be absolutely lying if I said that um that like call into ministry that I talked about not wanting to answer I'd be lying if I said it didn't come through a ton of media like it did 100% I kept consuming media and coming back to oh fuck this is good liturgy or oh fuck this is this is so important this is telling me I need to do the thing that I'm putting off I need to do the thing that I'm avoiding I need to I need to change the gears of my life to support a dream I've been running away from Yeah, it reminds me of the sermon on Sunday. <laughs> get out of mm. your way. Get out of your own way. Do what you're here to do. And um, no one's going to be able to do it like you. Mm. I just had a scattering of thoughts. <laughs> uh, one of which is, is uh, I, I think it's so funny. I, I knew this about myself, but I forgot. Every single tattoo on my body will be gotten with you. (laughs) (laughs) Including this next one. I have one scheduled in March with Phoenix. And um, I just think it's really funny that we're talking about the the consumption of media. But I feel like Phoenix has been a really big part of understanding that creating meaning in media requires embodiment. And... uh, I just think it's really fitting that the next tattoo is going to be with you too. It's an honor and an incredible privilege that I hope to keep earning throughout our relationship to witness so intimately the progress of, you know, your devotion to yourself and your truest self. Hmm. I'm also getting a tattoo. Well, two tattoos while we're there, and I'm excited about that. And not surprisingly, they're about media. (laughs) What are you getting? I'm getting a a tattoo based on Good Days by SZA and the entire Renaissance album (laughs) by Beyonce. And a thing about me that um, listeners might not know is that all of my tattoos are symmetrical. So I have to, like, if I get one tattoo on one side, I have to get another one in the same place on the other side of my body, or else, I don't know, I'll probably die. So I, um, I'm i scheduling both of those at the same time so that I can stay symmetrical. And I'm excited. I'm super excited because a thing that I'm doing, which feels wild and I would never do if I didn't trust Phoenix as an artist so much is I'm not, I, I don't have the picture of the tattoo I'm getting. I'm just, I'm just letting Phoenix interpret the media and design something that she feels is accurate reflection of it. Yeah, I think, I think this, I, we're both doing that. <laughs> like, it's gonna, mine's also gonna be freehanded. Like, that's so wild that we trust this person enough to do that, but we do. <laughs> might be the most trustworthy person one of the most trustworthy people i know so there's that and while we're talking about phoenix and singing phoenix's praises buy (laughs) phoenix's book salivation available at barnesandnoble.com 
Natalie will link it in the bio of this. I absolutely will. <laughs> uh, Miss best-selling author. I know. God, we have sexy friends. We really do. Something that you and Phoenix do that I just hadn't done before, but it was so interesting as, as a way to process life, is imagining characters into real-life situations. I think the first time I really did that with you was Christmas. It was like imagining what their favorite Christmas song would be. Um, but like, how else do you do that? Or like, why, how did you get started doing that? Like, do you, do you, did that practice come from somewhere or is it just something you've always done? Well, I think that practice probably came from my obsessive disorder. Um, well, <laughs> yeah. And handily, it ties into my, my you know, religious practice. No, it, 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 that's true. That's not a lie. That was not the no. Um, the, like, <laughs> negative connotation that I think I put on that with my tone is the, is the no that I'm trying to communicate here. I love that I do that. It started with me just being a, a kid maladaptive daydreaming, honestly, about my favorite characters. I, like joke but it's not a joke that like I'm married to Peter Parker that man has been my husband since I was like I don't know 10 years old like they like we've been going together that's pooky like I don't know what to say that's they and and what I mean by that is that like I am like he is with me he's in my head like I think about him when I'm driving I think about him when I'm doing the dishes I I just I imagine him into like every scenario and situation I, one of my favorite things to do when I'm like around insufferable family is think about how much more bearable it would be if Peter Parker were my partner and he were like there with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so like your question is like, how did I start that? Or like, um, you know, like, why do I do that? Or when do I start? I don't remember what the exact question is, but like, I'm going to answer all of that. I started when I was a kid because um, frankly, when I was a kid I was a weird kid and it was easy for me to make friends but not easy for me to make good friends Mm. and certainly not easy for me to make friends that understood me in a way that I really desired to be understood I was a just deeply haunted kid just aware of things that I shouldn't have been aware of or you know who am I to say shouldn't I would like to have not been aware of and and constantly thinking about those things and I needed escapism and I think that I would probably pursue that through like friendships and connections and play and I didn't find often peers that wanted to play in the ways that I did and or you know sort of did imagination work in the way that I did and so I just I did it by myself often and I created friends I think that that's pretty normal for kids and mm. and then when I got older and I started consuming media more regularly, those friends became characters that I read. Um, and that eventually led to me writing fan fiction a lot. And, and now that I'm older, I just, I think that it's a fun way to deal with living through the end times, probably. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think it contributes to me being a better writer when I write stories about these characters and sometimes I'll make up characters and and whatnot I also I 100% personify and anthropomorphize like inanimate objects all the time (laughs) oh my god I my I my sister used to make a joke 
that I had a rich backstory for like every inanimate object that I came in, in contact with <laughs> growing up. And, and it's true. Um, I, this is just like a thing that I do. I think I, I do it because I want to, because I like interaction and um, people get tired of me often, which is fair. But you know, when you have imaginary friends or friends that are just characters or whatever, they never get tired of you because they're not real. You don't have to care about their feelings. You can just like trauma dump on them. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm going to give you a break again. Do you have another question for me? I should. <laughs> Ooh, here's a good question. Is there a okay. piece of media that's coming out this year that you're really looking forward to consuming? I mean, Taylor Swift's new album. <laughs> yeah. Period. Yes. That's a great answer. It's uh, a great answer. I really loved her last album, and I felt like I was actually in that cultural moment, and there was a lot of, like, freedom from my, like, shortly after my separation from my ex-husband, and it really stuck with me, and I feel like it you said something at the very beginning of this that media is a way to decorate time and I, I have a really complicated loose relationship with time and so I feel like that really gives me an anchor to hold on to that is deeply unique and I look forward to creating another one I love decorating time with media like I know you know this about me but there will be times where like a song will come up in conversation and immediately my brain goes to the first time that I listened to it, where I was when I listened to it the most, like what that time of my life was like, it is like the biggest anchor for me uh, of time to like consume media that is from that time mm. in my life. It's so funny even just looking around my room because a piece of media that's really sacred to me that is recent is a gift that was given to me for Christmas. It's a book that Amira gave me called Me Casina. And uh, she's so interesting having having media specifically to work on ancestor work because it's something that I've struggled with the most. Anytime I am drawing cards or anything and I get the ancestors or I talk, like, you know, family history is brought up, I'm very disconnected from both sides of my family. My mom's side because they're not great and my dad's side just because we moved away from Arizona and I um am deeply uprooted from my Hispanic side and so it's been such a gift to be friends with Amira and like be introduced to Fantasmos and and this book and and just I don't know I'm just reflecting on my own newer relationship to media like being an anchor to time like you were just talking about it's a really beautiful thing it is and it's been so joyful to watch you connect in these ways and to use media and in an incredibly humbling way to use my musings on media and how powerful it can be as mm. a tool to self-actualize and to self-identify and honestly to heal and to to love yourself an active way it just it has been so truly 
uh, otherworldly, honestly, to to witness transformation at such a rapid and um, and important pace. Important mm. because there is there is this real sense that I get from a lot of people when they're transitioning through a crisis that like the crisis is is so necessary for them like it's this or they cease to be yeah and i i really have gotten the real sense from you that everything that you've been moving through has been a it's this or or i will not know more and i like you and i want to keep you around so it's been really it's been it's been relieving i think for all the people who love you that you have tackled a journey towards wellness with such veracity you deserve it go make me cry <laughs> oops that was not my intention <laughs> honestly what a beautiful note to like end on i just i love you so much and i'm so happy that you're in my life and i hey Dak. <laughs> It uh, reminds me of, you know, I almost didn't apply for TFAS and um, something in me said, you know, you don't know what hangs in the balance of this. And I think it was most definitely my, my life. So oh, God. Yeah, I've saved it on more than one occasion. I want to deflect so much and I'm not. I'm just going <laughs> to sit in it. I'm just gonna sit in it. Thank you. That's a that's a really generous thing to say. And um, if all the ministry I have ever or will ever do in my life is just convincing the people I love that they are worthy of love, man, have I done my job? It is something you are uniquely excellent at. All right, this is so ridiculously sappy at this point. I am. Um, <laughs> also, explain what TFAS is so that the audience knows. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, the Fund for American Studies was a scholarship program. Um, I was in student government, and so I was like, oh, that's great for our president. I was like the marketing person in student government. And uh, <laughs> it really helped me realize a lot about myself, including my political leanings because I surely was helping out with a presidential election of a candidate I don't agree with so um but I'm so glad that we were able to meet I feel like we found our own little group of queer neurodivergent <laughs> babies and uh and we just kind of stayed together after that we did it was serendipitous like I said mm-hmm you are not the only person that I talk to from that, but you certainly are the closest person in my life from that. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, TFAS changed my life completely. I, my, my ex that I dated for five and a half years, I met at TFAS. You, my best friend, what, you know, one of the most important people in my life I met through TFAS. I also fell in love with the city of Washington, D.C. and moved there after that, like hugely yeah. transformational time of my life and I have no ability to listen to any song that came out in 2016 and not immediately think of uh, of that summer and that time and whatnot so you know 
Yeah. <laughs> what sacredness awaits us next? <laughs>